Where's Milne? Well, that's, that's what I want to tell you. You see, she was bugging me the whole time. She got pissy with me because I wouldn't let her carry the bag. And then she started running her fucking mouth about, you know, because like, I couldn't remember where the car was parked right away when we came out. So then she got on me about that. Is it this aisle, Lewis? Is it that aisle, Lewis? It's totally fucking with my nerves, man. So what? So, you left her there? I, I shot her. You shot Melanie? Twice. In the parking lot. You couldn't talk to her? Well, how can you talk to her? You, know, you couldn't she, just hit her? Maybe, but I, at that, at that t moment, I don't know. I, you shot her? Twice? Is she dead? I, 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 pretty much. What do you mean, pretty much, Lewis? That ain't no fucking answer. Yes or no? Is she dead? I, I think so. You think so? Tell me, Lewis. She's Is dead. she? She's dead. But where'd you shoot her? In the chest and the stomach. If you had to do it, then you had to do it, bro. What we don't want is that bitch surviving on us. No, anybody but that woman. Scott, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? You think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? My fat one, you cheap dime store hood. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of the greatest moments in the history of forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 91, Jackie Brown. All right. This. The uh, movie that almost ended the show one time, really. Well, I mean, I wouldn't really blame the movie. Yeah. But it was the last thing we were going to do before we went on indefinite hiatus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so what better time to bring it up again than about a year since the time we went on hiatus. With <laughs> yeah. the well, so we're trying it again a year later, It's basically. one of those things, though. It's kind of like the fog where we didn't really get that full shot at it, and it's been on my mind ever since. <laughs> I think that kind of happened with Blade Runner, too. Like, we were going to do that earlier. We watched it, but then didn't do it. Yeah, I don't I'm know. I'm pretty sure there was a situation like that. Yeah, I don't remember. So here we are now, finally doing it. As always, thanks for listening. Uh, we welcome your feedback. You can tweet at us uh, at Greatest Pod. Yeah, downloads uh, looking good. Yeah, I mean we're just uh, powering Cursing. along, yeah. doing our thing, right? <laughs> and yeah, this is uh, an exciting episode for us. Uh, this is a movie that I think it's safe to say that we've fallen in love with more yes. and more over the last couple of years it's really become a special thing in my life oh right and there's certainly which we'll definitely get to as we go throughout it uh more to sort of uh sink your teeth into than maybe you realize from initial viewing yeah it's interesting um well first of all i would say that jackie brown is like the often forgotten masterpiece from uh, Quentin Tarantino. It kind of fits oddly into his filmography because it's like you have 
Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction. And then there's this kind of thrown into the middle of his new wave with all the Kill Bill and the ultra-violence movies. Yeah, I kind of see this as more part of that original run and then the shift coming with Kill Bill. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. This one, for me, kind of fits into that. I guess it's more delineated from my own personal awareness. I wasn't yep. quite old enough to be into Tarantino by the time Jackie Brown came out. Yeah, I don't think I watched Jackie Brown until I was in high school. So, so yeah, I think it is interesting, though, that we kind of have increased our appreciation for it over time because Tarantino himself has kind of described this movie as, like, a hangout movie where you're just, like, kind of hanging out with the characters. Yeah, yeah. And that... You like it the first time you see it, but you like it even more the second and the third and the fourth oh, time. I agree with that. Yeah. And it's not like, oh, this is like a super hard to follow, complicated thing. Like, you need to see it twice to understand it. It's more of just like, you enjoy spending time with these characters and you enjoy it more and more and more the, the more thing, time though, you spend with them. Uh, Jackie's actual plan. It unfolds over such a long period of time for that end sequence of the movie. It's sometimes you get lost and like, wait, what is going on here? What exactly is she doing with all these bags? <laughs> yeah, the ending is kind of confusing, especially the first time you see it. Right. But I think usually by that point in the movie, you kind of don't care anymore. You're just oh, like yeah. along for the ride. <laughs> You just you're you're like trusting that you're you know you're being taken up, to the right, right. place. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, after – I think it, it, it's also kind of uh, – it, it's worth pointing out that following, you know, the breakout success of Reservoir Dogs and then, like, the huge hit of Pulp Fiction, it was kind of like Tarantino was at a point where he could definitely make anything he wanted. Oh, yeah. Miramax, just like, whatever budget you want, <laughs> we'll do it. Yeah, I mean, this was like – his opportunity to make whatever, and he chose this, uh, an adaptation of an Elmore Leonard novel, Rum Punch. He actually, him and his partner, uh, Lawrence Kasdan, they, or is it Lawrence Bender? Yeah, Bender. <laughs> Lawrence Kasdan's the director. Oh, Bender, Empire yeah. Strikes Back. Yeah. They, yeah. yeah. Uh, him and Bender, they uh, licensed three. Well, I w- is, what's, Avery was still involved at this point, I guess, too? It seems like it. Yeah. I was just reading it on Wikipedia right before this that it yeah, it seems like he was still involved at this point, which I didn't really think. Yeah, so they 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 got the rights for like three Elmer Leonard novels and I guess originally Tarantino was going to have somebody else direct the adaptation of Rum Punch and he was going to maybe do either Kill Shot or Freaky Deaky. He was going to start working on one of the other two as his follow-up to Pulp Fiction. Yeah, and then he reread Rum Punch and decided to go with this. And I think it's it's kind of interesting how this all comes together because it's almost like he took uh, an Elmore Leonard novel that he liked and was able to kind of meld that with his love and appreciation of like black exploitation cinema and kind of the cult of Pam Greer and kind of turn this story into kind of a loving tribute to those movies. Right. You know, but it still works on its own. You right. It doesn't... I, mean? right. I, 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 w- I certainly would not categorize 
Jackie Brown as a black exploitation no, no. movie at all. It but feels it's... completely normal. It doesn't really feel over the top. <laughs> normal. I mean, well, you know what I mean. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, but it's like it's kind of like it's almost like taking those characters from you know Coffee or Foxy Brown or whatever and putting them in a real movie and taking it and being like, what would they be like twenty years down the line? Oh yeah, assuming they lived. And it's because you kind of he you know he casts. Pam Greer and Robert Forster in this, and it's kind of like they've got that experience to them, and their their faces that are familiar to the audiences. But maybe we, you know, they we haven't seen them in a while. Now here they are, looking more mature and lived in a little bit more. And now it's like kind of got this different kind of feel and pace than like a black black exploitation movie. But we're supposed to still draw upon that kind of memory now you've done this spiel before and you do it well uh but it's like (laughs) the idea of tarantino getting to make whatever he wants after pulp fiction and that kind of goes hand in hand working with the top level actors and it's like okay what do you want to make who are we casting in these lead roles and it's like pam greer and robert forrester (laughs) yeah but i think you know he fought to get travolta in Pulp True. Fiction, yeah. so at this point, I think that there There's was probably a lot more there. trust, and like he knows what he's doing, you know. Right, and you know he he seems willing to fill some of the supporting roles with more traditional, familiar faces. Like they really wanted to get Bruce Willis into Pulp Fiction, so Bruce Willis ends up in Pulp Fiction, and and then in Jackie Brown, it's like Samuel Jackson was pretty hot right in that time period, and then you get Robert De Niro in more of like a supporting role, yeah. Although really kind of playing a dud of a character. <laughs> I love I love right. the character that Lewis. he plays. It's it, I do think that like Tarantino was way ahead of the curve in terms of like playing with the idea of meta expectations with things. Oh yeah. And I think like you play like knowing the type of characters that De Niro was playing in the nineties with like Goodfellas and Casino and stuff, that plays into how you're supposed to take the character yeah, yeah. of Lewis. Like it's just so different. And he's like such a like kind of a loser, really. Yeah, <laughs> and you know it messes with your uh, expectations and and kind of gives you like well, a yeah, whole. Yeah, you expect him to be kind of a a badass, and I mean, right. he's not completely removed from being a badass, but yeah, he's he's pretty lame. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, the uh, titular character Jackie Brown is named Jackie Burke in Rum Punch, so he changes it to Jackie Brown as. Kind of an homage to Foxy Brown, a famous character Pam Greer played. But also, I was reading that it also is a character name from the Friends of Eddie Coyle. Jackie and, Brown is? Yeah. Not Foxy Brown. Yeah, Jackie Brown. Right. And that that character from that movie it was like kind of an inspiration for Elmer Leonard when he was writing the Ordell character. Oh, gotcha. So it's kind of like, a, it's like a double thing there. It's not just the obvious tribute to uh foxy brown but it's i was finding that a lot with some of my research on this movie there's like yeah there's like two things because it's like it seems obvious that like in retrospect like what the goal of the movie is in in kind of turning it you know making jackie a black woman and casting pam greer and calling it jackie brown which is like foxy brown so it kind of seems like this whole take on uh tarantino's you know well-known and well-established love of 
70s cinema and black exploitation cinema and stuff. But then also you find out that Pam Greer came in to read for the part that went to Rosanna Arquette in Pulp Fiction. Oh, okay. And you're like, yeah. okay, so, and he, it says like, oh, yeah, and he kept her in mind after that. It's like, well, <laughs> did he keep her in mind? Because, you know, he has all these huge posters of uh, all of her 70s movies, right. and he, he he knows all those things. But, I mean, and then, like, Robert Forrester read for a part in Reservoir Dogs, and so he kind of wrote the part of Max Cherry with him in mind. Like, so Robert thinking, Forrester, uh, like, I know him as being a regularly working actor, but I guess there was kind of a lull there. Yeah, the 90s. I mean, he was the guy that was acting in, like, the 60s when he was, like, young. Yeah, the 90s, were, he was kind of down on his luck. From what I was reading, it didn't even seem like he had an agent anymore at the time that Tarantino gave him the script. So that's the thing. It's like, we know of him, you know, he gets brought up because it's like, David Lynch works with him and stuff too. I mean, that's who Lynch wanted to cast in Twin Peaks originally. Right. And that made me think like, oh, must be he wasn't available. Well, I think he was doing something else, but that, you know, that was casting in like True. 89. This right. movie came out in 97. 10 years later basically. Things change, you know. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Um age is a horrible thing. And of course, you know, Samuel L. Jackson playing uh Ordell Roby. Rocking just r- ridiculous. <laughs> Look yeah, the, the hairstyling hair. was his was his choice. Yeah. He thought that that's what it should look like. <laughs> He's kind of got that weird uh, long strand beard thing going on. That you know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know what you call that. His whole like look in this movie is kind of frightening. It kind of plays into this villainous character that's like can be funny, but is like truly like one of the more horrifying characters yeah. that we've seen Samuel ever play yeah he's pretty uh pretty cold-blooded but it is weird because he doesn't really seem that scary through most of it because he does kind of talk and uh i don't know he's just like always making jokes yeah which i think that's part of why it's scary right he's, he's kind of like a true like sociopath but i guess uh jackson ended up doing like the majority of his filming for this big part in a long movie on weekends because he was filming sphere at the time oh wow <laughs> So he was like, you know, this was his part time job. This was like a seven, seven days a week time period in his career. I mean, you know, he wasn't turning things down, really. Yeah. Um, I mean, Samuel L. Jackson has to be like super fucking rich. I would imagine. Yeah. yeah. So good for him. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, Tarantino changed some significant parts of the book and everything. And so he was kind of like concerned about how. Elmore Leonard would react to his changes, but I guess like Leonard like loved the script and thought it was not only like the best adaptation of his work, but one of the best scripts that he had ever read. And so everybody's on board. Now um, speaking of that, because I don't know if we'll get to it again later because it's not really that great of a thing. But the whole thing where Michael Keaton's character is in Out of Sight that Steven Soderbergh directed, also yeah. based on one of these dudes' books. I've never seen Out of Sight all the way through. I've just kind of caught it on TV. And weirdly enough, I always see that like one scene that he's in. So, yeah. so for a long time, I thought that he was like featured heavily throughout the movie. And I was like, oh, wow, that's cool that this Ray Nicolette character is played by Michael Keaton and just a fairly big role in both movies, but not so much in Out of Sight. Yeah, it. it I mean, it does. it definitely needs to be brought up. 
for this per- for the purposes of this podcast so it doesn't seem like we're ignorant to that fact true but it does have that feel of like one of those things where like people are like oh you know when when people want to show you how smart they are by reminding you that Die Hard is a Christmas <laughs> oh, movie. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, right. I, I feel like I've heard that Michael Keaton reprises his role from Jackie Brown in Out of Sight 2,000 times in my life. Like, you know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? It's just one of those right. things that you constantly get told. And it's just like, yeah, we know. I, oh, I, I feel like most people I talk to would not really even know what Out of Sight is, though. And then maybe well, you're, also maybe you're just a little bit younger. Out of sight seemed like a big movie was at the it? time. Okay, because it, it was like two Jennifer Lopez up and coming like hot people in it. George Clooney, yeah, it was like Clooney Super and hot. Jennifer Lopez, like right at their like pre peak kind of thing, like on oh, their yeah, way the up pre peak. And Soderbergh was like still like a really big time hot director, and it just had a lot of buzz. I mean, right. I don't know okay. if. It li- I, is does it live up to the buzz? Is it a movie that people still care about? I don't know, but Although, I feel like it had a mo- <laughs> it had its moment. Though. Okay, all right, that's fair. What uh, year did that come out? Ninety seven, ninety eight. What did this-, this came out in, uh, on Christmas Day, ninety seven? I think Out of Sight came was out the next in either ninety eight or ninety nine. Okay. Probably yeah, ninety eight. I think it was a year later. Was what I was reading. Yeah. Um. All right. So we get the uh, opening of the film is Jackie Brown, kind of coming back from a trip she's like a an airline stewardess yeah she works on like some rundown low level airline that just kind of does flights between like southern california and mexico it seems like sort of a semi-famous shot to do the person going through lax yeah because they used it in like one of the last seasons of mad men too and i was reading that that's kind of like the graduate also has a scene like a sequence like that yeah there's like it's kind of like an iconic um like that colorful tile right. on the wall and everything. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of a cool introduction because we don't really even meet uh, Jackie until almost a half hour into the movie itself. Oh, that's true. Like she doesn't yeah. actually the speak title character. or anything yet. We just kind of get this like over the opening credits, kind of a visual introduction to her. And then we cut right from that into uh, chicks who love guns or whatever. <laughs> is that what is there's a chicks who uh, dig guns? I think that's right. Yeah. And it's like a an insane video featuring like muscular bikini clad women shooting like automatic right. weapons and stuff. Uh, Bridget Fauna turns back and it's like the storyline's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean we get the we get introduced now to Ordell, Lewis, Melanie. They're kind of uh, hanging out in Melanie's apartment. Lewis is played by Robert De Niro. Uh, Ordell is Samuel L. Jackson. He's kind of explaining. They actually have a lot of the video that they're watching on mute so that Ordell can give his own like narration oh, about each right. of the guns, yeah. <laughs> which seems, I mean, it's it's an absurd videotape to be watching in the first place, but then to like mute it so that you can do your... <laughs> it's an interesting uh, way to come in to a movie with criminals because it's like a lot of the time in movies we're seeing like what they do or they've like built this empire and... Ordell is like this quasi-successful criminal. I mean, he has a lot of money, but it's not in America. And he's made most of his money selling his guns where? I don't know. Wherever. Somewhere. So d- various off criminals. Shores. Yeah, but not in America, it seems. Yeah, I don't None know. None of his money's here. Well, yeah, it seems like there's a lot of laundering and transactional stuff going on through Mexico. And so, you know, he has like these people that work for him, including Jackie Brown, who... Basically, she's just a, a mule that 
lugs the money into the country. Right. And, you know, in a pre-9-11 world, and she's the stewardess, like, it seems like a fairly easy way to do this. True. Because she's not really getting, she's not subject necessarily to, like, the same kind of Going through security and stuff. Yeah, and things obviously were a lot more lax at the time, and and that's, like, her deal. And I guess, you know, uh, Lewis is someone who is just recently released from prison, He's someone that did time with Ordell like 20 years ago. So he's like, this seems old like friend. maybe something maybe went down when they were in prison together. <laughs> you know, <laughs> what do you mean? Like, on like the down something low? sexual. I feel like one of those things that happened like while they were in prison, but they don't talk about later. <laughs> like they have that kind of friendship. OK, <laughs> I'm uh, getting that vibe. Yeah, I don't know if, if like if you have one of those kind of things that you're you necessarily hang out with that person on the outside. Well, I don't know. Unless you're saying they found love in a hopeless place. So, what is Ordell's... Well, I'm, most people do. Uh, Ordell's whole deal with having, like, a few different chicks and a few different, like, places to live. Yeah, I mean, he's like a real man about town Yeah, in the Southern California area. It's like, oh, yeah, she just lives at this apartment on the beach. She kind of acts like it's her place, but... Yeah, you feel I like think it's a way that he kind of disguises his income because I'm sure if he's filing taxes, which is questionable, like he's not, you know, he's not claiming his true income for all this illegal well, activity. So he's like kind of hiding some of this money uh, with Melanie and the apartment, you know, Simone, who has a house in Compton, and then like Sharonda, who is like another uh, girl <laughs> that he lives with at various times. Like he's got all these like different women kind of like in his um Posse. employ. Yeah. I guess. Yeah, and you kind of never really get like the full story on Ordell and Melanie's relationship. Right. Yeah, they <laughs> It's like how did they together, meet exactly and I mean, she What came, is the story? Well, yeah, at one point uh she's talking to Lewis about the last time that uh, she saw him, and I think she said she was like fourteen or something. <laughs> yeah, it's it's certainly questionable right. as to how this all went yeah. down and like where she comes from and what her old story is. At one point, she she shows that picture where she was like in Japan. And I was like, <laughs> well, what was she doing there? Yeah, it is weird. And now she's kind of just living this life where she has this awesome apartment on the beach, like, and just hangs out in a bikini and smokes weed. And yeah. that's basically her life. Yeah, I mean, and I think scenes like this, I kind of like um, made a note of this scene and I think like, you know, a couple other scenes later, which kind of, you know, fit the bill as far as that hangout style of this movie. It's like, you know, the first half hour of this movie, it feels like you're just kind of hanging out with Bridget Fonda in a bikini. And you're just like, all right, yeah, the plot is not really an issue. I mean... At various points in the movie, the plot becomes like the focal point, but there's a lot of this movie that's just kind of like hanging out talking. Yeah. And like catching up and like. And it's not really uh, like Robert De Niro is not really offering a lot of content in his conversations. He's kind of <laughs> no. just there going with the flow. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I think that's ultimately like Melanie's downfall is that she's a lot smarter than she she needs to be for this life and it's kind of an issue <laughs> right yeah she doesn't want to be there just to answer the phone for 
Ordell. She's like a smart ass and she can't do anything else. She can't like point. help herself and not and just, you know, be quiet. She has to like point out how dumb everyone else is all okay. the time. A relatable <laughs> trait for you, maybe. <laughs> so they get a call and uh Ordell finds out that a guy that works for him, Beaumont Livingston, has been arrested. Chris Tucker. Yeah, played by uh, Chris Tucker, who we don't see much of these days. No. He popped up in Sil- Silver, Linings. Silver Linings Playbook, which is really one of the most random pop-up appearances of all yeah. time when you he think about it. He was funny in it, too. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, I feel like there needs to be like a serious documentary at some point telling the story of like what the deal is with Chris Tucker. Yeah, I don't know. Because there's a lot of rumor, you know, about different things. Because, I mean, typically, if you see someone with that much success and then they kind of seemingly disappear for a while, you'll actually look at their IMDb and you'll be like, oh, here's four or five bombs they were in. And that caused everything. It's just like, no, it was like rush hour one, two, and three, and then like nothing. But it's like he was in Friday and then not next Friday. I don't know if there's a story there. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I mean, he just kind of like vanished and then randomly pops up in Silver Linings Playbook. And I don't know. You always hear like, we're about to get this Chris Tucker comeback or something. Well, that's I remember feeling that way around Silver Linings Playbook because not only did I see him in that movie, but he did an interview with Ron Bennington on Ron and Fez. Oh, wow. He was kind of, you know, I don't know. Ron always had this way of like, presenting a situation like it was better than it was like yeah like you know like phrasing things like you're very specific with your choices <laughs> but there's there was a lot of hope in that conversation about like yeah this is a time where you'll start to see me resurface but well i, I do think here he we got, are I, I think he went through a religious phase okay where well he was that'll like, happen where he was kind of against like swearing and all that stuff okay that makes but I don't, sense. But I don't know. But then, like, I don't know. You hear that, like, Rush Hour 4 is happening, and he's going to be in it. And so, okay. I, like, I don't know. I, who knows what's going on? But, yeah, I mean, he's he's funny in this role. He's not. He doesn't have, like, a huge part. But Ordell's arrest really kind of triggers everything for the rest of the film. I mean, it's, it's, it's what sets everything in motion. Ordell? Beaumont? I mean, Beaumont's right. arrest. Sorry. Okay, yeah. So, just... Well, um some fun kind of camera work throughout this movie, but one of the good ones during this sequence when Ordell shows up and is like, come on, man, we're going to go surprise some people and like kill them or whatever. And you're going to be in the trunk and convinces him to get in the trunk. But the whole thing where they do that scene where he gets in the trunk and it pulls around the fence basically yeah. to like this industrial park. It's basically like where Aaron Hernandez, you know, that, <laughs> situation went down or whatever but uh you know it's just like kind of a funny thing the way that it's shot because it seems like they're gonna drive somewhere and they just drive around the bend and it's kind of like and the music is loud and then the car drives away and the music goes almost completely away as it's going around the bend and then it kind of come the music comes back softly as the car is like on the other side of the fence but it's a little farther away yeah like oh you know he turns the car off and the music stops right before that though he goes to get he's got to get Beaumont out of jail so he go this is when we get introduced to Max Cherry who's a b- bail bondsman Ordell takes Lewis um I think the the interactions between Ordell and Max in the film kind of are always great oh, because yeah. there's always kind of this like 
need to prove himself that Ordell has, which is kind of like a major oh yeah character make himself uh, trait. seem like a major player. Well, like even the part, so it's like you know he's asking for Ordell. Ordell's address, and he's like, "Is that an apartment or a house?" And just the way that Ordell is like, "Oh, it's a house," you know what oh, I mean? Right. Like yeah. he's kind of like he's proud of it, and like he's kind of got this chip on his shoulder, which kind of defines his whole character. It's like that money in Mexico is more than just the sum of that money. It's like his proof that he is something, oh, yeah. and that kind of plays into a lot, especially the very end of the film. I think. And yeah, because really what we've come into, like the crux of the film and Ordell's whole story is like, I got to get this money here. And everyone is impacted by that, including Lewis. It seems like he has something to gain for this money coming in. Well, the story. Yeah. And the story all basically gets kicked off because of Beaumont's arrest. Uh, Beaumont, of course, initially tells Ordell that he didn't tell them anything. But in truth, he kind of gave up everything, which we find out because oh, right. Uh, shortly, well, first, okay. There's a couple of things. Okay. I, I did like We're that. A lot, but I, I did like let's that. Let you get in order to uh, put up collateral for Beaumont's bail. He pulls out that bag and he's like, "This is my Raptor bag or whatever." And it's like the Toronto Raptors. You can it. The logo is kind of obscured, but that's what it is. Okay. And I guess like Samuel Jackson was going to like a lot of Toronto Raptors. Oh games. wow, he was like the old Drake. He was basically. the OG Drake. Yeah. I don't know what the deal was with that. I'm like, why? Why was Samuel Jackson going to a lot of Raptors games? Yeah, I know that seems like it would have been a hassle. And then Ordell goes and picks up Beaumont. And he tricks him into getting into the trunk, and then he he shoots him. So then we cut to Simone's house, where she's performing baby love for by the Supremes for Lewis. And this is the only time we really see Simone, Simone in the entire film, right? Yet it's like it always feels like she's a bigger part of it for some reason because it's just so bizarre. And I guess like that's where Lewis is staying. Yeah, I, that, the whole ins and outs out of like what's going where on with this scene really. Yeah, she's. She, I'm just doing that thing I do. It's she puts like, on what? a performance, right. I guess. <laughs> what is the end game for this, though? Her doing that. She just is like she just just likes to doing entertain it. Lewis. Is she being paid for this? I don't understand. No, this is where she lives. I know, but no, I she. I think she wants to do it. It seems like a whole performance, though. She's like dressed up for it, even. Yeah, I think this is like her life. Right. Is okay. To do this seems pretty good. Yeah. And you know. When Ordell and Lewis are talking about it, they're both like, yeah, she's not bad. <laughs> like, she's actually not that bad right. of a singer. So he shows, uh, Ordell shows Lewis Beaumont in the trunk of the car. I don't really know why he does this other than to be the like. The trunk pop. Uh, yeah. This uh, is when the trunk pop happens. Is, <laughs> yeah, it's like, is he just doing this to show Lewis he means business? Yeah, does this sh- play into the chip on the shoulder uh, I was just yeah, talking about? Yeah, I just about? think it's another. You he's know, like, look, I'm legit. Badass he is. Yeah. And Lewis's, Lewis's reactions to things like this are always funny, too, because he just kind of no-sells it. He's like, yeah. huh, who was that? Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, that was Beaumont Livingston. So now we don't really know until the next scene what the deal is. We don't know how much damage Beaumont has actually done until we cut to the parking garage at the airport and... Uh, a couple Miss of HEF. Jackie being apprehended yeah, by we have, some lawmen. 
an ATF agent, Ray Nicolette, and I think just a cop, Mark Dargis. With a killer mustache. Yeah. That dude, his name's like Michael Bowen. He's somebody that he like... seems familiar to me, but I don't really he's know. He's somebody that pops up in a lot of Tarantino movies yeah. with like smaller parts. Okay. This is probably the biggest part I think he's ever had in one. Yeah. He has a decent amount of speaking or a decent amount of lines in this movie. Yeah, I mean, he more or less fades Probably. to the background yeah. after a while, and it's more focused a on... A Ray Nicolette show. Yeah, so this is the character that uh, Keaton plays in Out of Sight, as well as Jackie Brown. Which we refuse <laughs> to mention again, so... So she gets she gets busted bringing this money in, but the bigger problem for her is that... I can't they remember... Find... What's the guy's name? Is it Mr. Walker? Or what is his name? The oh, guy... the guy in Mexico. Yes, Mr. Walker, I, I guess he slipped in like a little bit of cocaine for Melanie. Yeah. Oh, God, Melanie. Get it together. Well, I, I don't know. That whole thing is always kind of weird. I, because... Do you feel like Nicolette was planning it? It We it don't see him like doing that, that, but... At times. It feels like it's being planted at times, but then Samuel L. Jackson very much is just like... Oh yeah, Mr. Walker said he was putting something special in there for me, but it's really for Melanie. You know what I mean? I don't it's know. Just, I don't know. That whole detail is always there's a lot of questions. Because I guess it. like technically bringing in how much money does she have the first time? Is it fifty thousand? I think fifty thousand is what. So technically bringing in more than ten thousand is a crime. You have Certainly. to declare yeah. it. But I don't know if it's the type of crime that they could really do that much over. Yeah, so that might the drug thing offense. is like the hook, because I've you know they want to they use Beaumont to get to Jackie and they want to use Jackie to get to Ordell. Well, it seems and like they need a hook, and the hook is the drugs. Just really. based on the way the movie's playing out, it's definitely being presented to us like she's not facing anything major with just the money. Because once they pull out the drugs, that's when she's arrested. Yeah, and she had some priors from like a previous well, life I mean, that come we. On. <laughs> Yeah. She was a badass chick. I mean, yeah, and I think like even kind of the casual references to her like past life, like she had a husband at the time who was like a pilot, and she got busted bringing you know doing something or other, and this is kind of it kind of plays into that like yeah, living we a know wild life. Pam Greer from twenty years ago, right? Yeah, and she had like a a like she was playing wilder characters back at the time, right? And we know her history of kind of being in some female prisons <laughs> that's other true well, they, films that yeah i mean in. this movie obviously is like chock full of references to pam greer's earlier works and like right here you know she go she has to go to jail because of the drugs and they play longtime woman right which is a song that i believe she is singing i yeah. told you that i, I saw you that did somewhere say that to me and is it in one of the movies yeah I it's guess? in one of those prison movies yeah, yeah. Which she's in a few of Zach owns, maybe all. At Probably this point. not all of them, yeah. but all of them that are available on Blu-ray. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, we've had a, a brief run with the the Pam Greer black exploitation uh, film. Well, yeah, she was in like the black exploitation, but these are almost like a, another genre, right? These yeah. are just like Women's women in prison, prison exploitation. <laughs> chicks behind bars <laughs> right but yeah and then as soon as they go into court for her uh whatever her bail hearing yeah the judge a familiar face yes sid Haig. sid Haig, who some listeners may remember as captain spaulding from house of a thousand corpses and the devil's rejects but he's pretty he much is in, like, in every one of those movies right yeah <laughs> And he is just as horrifying in the 1970s yeah, as he is now. Scary looking dude, really. 
Yeah. So he's he makes a little cameo, and like I think at one point, whenever uh, Jackie goes to push the buzzer at Melanie's apartment, like the names. Oh, that's it, one right. One of them yeah. is S. Haig, and another one is J. Hill, and Jack Hill like directed a bunch of those movies. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, there's like lots of little references here and there little uh easter eggs so now we see uh ordell he makes like a kind of a brief appearance in the background at uh jackie's arraignment um so we know that you know even though jackie didn't call ordell from prison like beaumont did that he is like aware of what's going on and so ordell's got to make another appearance at max cherry's office to slide that collateral for Beaumont over to Jackie. Max Cherry's life up to this moment, things are pretty cool, but Yeah, I mean obviously he he knows that Ordell oh, is yeah. not only a criminal, but he knows that Ordell killed Beaumont. But like Yo, he makes comments about it basically. <laughs> Max is kind of just like it's kind of an interesting position in life, I think, to be a bail bondsman because he's kind of like playing on the side of like law enforcement, but he's not really law enforcement and doesn't really care right. unless he is it's just a job yeah if he's hired to do something specific like you know bring somebody to prison or to get them out with posting bail that's what he does he's not really sitting in judgment he almost has like it's funny because he kind of has like this uh casual almost like midwestern type attitude <laughs> to him and he's but then he'll be like yeah you know i go in and i hit him with the stun gun and then <laughs> Cuff him and bring him in. Yeah. Doesn't seem like a fun job. No. So now Max has to go pick up uh, Jackie from prison, and he just so happens to be bringing in like another prisoner, Anita Lopez, who... Bay. I made really? a little note. I was like, what's the deal with Anita Lopez? She looks <laughs> she looks pretty cute. Yeah. I uh, will need to check that actress's IMDb Yeah, anytime page. there's like a pretty cute girl in handcuffs, <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm like... I'm perking up. Right. So this is where Max just kind of gets sucked into the plot, basically, because he's kind of uh, smitten with Jackie, like, right off the bat. Oh, yeah. And who could blame him? No, I know. She's a whole lot of woman, really. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think it's safe to say that, like, you know, when you have songs from the 70s, like, she's a brick house. I mean, this is... Oh, yeah. I I I'm I mean I'm making this up I think but I feel like that song was like written about her. Um <laughs> <laughs> I mean it's just like, you know, and she, obviously now in you know the mid to late 90s she's like in her 40s or whatever at that point but she still looks incredible. Yeah. Just, I think she looks real good in this movie, especially in that uh air whatever they call it. In her little outfit for work. Oh, yeah. There's a, a co- stewardess outfit. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, they she tries to, like, act a little bit embarrassed about how she looks coming out of spending this t- little time in prison, but there there are a couple parts in the movie where she's, like, dolled up, where it's just like, whew. Right. I guess it should be pointed out, probably. I mean, we would be remiss if we didn't mention just the uh, insane amount of nudity that she's known for. In her career, not yeah. not in this movie though. No, they but... weren't able to bring her back. <laughs> yeah, we would be remiss if we didn't mention. <laughs> like what? Uh, so always on kind of like the Mister Skin Hall of Fame, Pam Greer. 
Sure. So she needs a pack of cigarettes, and then Max kind of takes this opportunity to, you know, go to a bar instead of just stop. She just is like, can't we just stop at a 7-Eleven? And he's like, no. (laughs) Basically. We need a drink. He's like, we need to get a drink together. Uh, So they end up going to this bar, the Cockatoo Inn, which is like by where Jackie lives. And this place is like incredible. Uh, the, The scene with them together... Sort of at this uh, part, it's just bathed in red light. Yeah, uh, like almost oppressive red lighting. Yeah, this is like the type of place that is like super cool. Uh, <laughs> I also and I love like that. Is this the cocktail lounge that Samuel Jackson and Lewis are? At yeah, later? yeah, yeah. It's the okay, same one. right? Yeah, it's called like the Cockatoo. Inn. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and there's that that deleted scene that we watched with Lewis right. and and Ordell walking Ordell, into yeah. it, and he's just like basically talking about how this is like a real bar right and now everything's been replaced by like shit sports <laughs> bars champo malley's yeah it does have kind of that like classic like feel to it like it feels like a, a like a cool bar from like the 70s oh yeah which is like you know obviously the vibe they were looking for here so you know they kind of talk a little bit at the bar and then max drops uh jackie off at her place and unbeknownst to Max, she she steals a gun from his uh, glove compartment, and uh, she goes yeah, into her... Yeah, she's actually kind of starting to hatch some schemes very well, early on here. Yeah, I mean, she's not an idiot. She right. knows the she score. Kn- she she knows, knows where this is headed. She yeah. knows that Ordell killed Beaumont because he got arrested and he was going to talk to the cops and blah, blah, blah. So he, she knows that she's in danger now, and of course, Ordell is waiting for her outside and I, th- I felt like the musical cue here was really interesting because it kind of it starts when they're at the bar and it's like a live performance of tennessee stud by oh, johnny cash and right. it kind of like carries over yeah tordell and then when he shuts his car off the song ends and i'm like it's kind of weird that ordell is just sitting in the dark listening to johnny cash <laughs> but uh the scene in jackie's apartment now between ordell and Jackie is like pretty unbelievable where you know they're both trying to play cool but like mouse game yeah it's like she knows why he's there and he knows that she knows why he's there but it's kind of like he doesn't know that she's got a gun and then you know at the opportunity he keeps like shutting her lights off which is like so suspicious well yeah he is kind of like an idiot that he thinks that this stuff is like gonna work on someone like her. Like maybe his like stupid bullshit's gonna work on Beaumont. Well, yeah, but... I mean he's certainly trying to intimidate her. It's like Pam Greer for me uh, is not a woman who is gonna be intimidated. <laughs> She's just gonna take those hips and just yeah, crush you. With beat, them. Some <laughs> beat some ass. Beat some ass. So yeah, she she basically gets the jump on Ordell and has a gun on him first. And she's like, look, I didn't tell him shit. I'm not going to tell him anything. I want you to like set up these escrow accounts for a hundred thousand dollars in my name. And if I spend a year in jail, then that I get that. And if it's any more a day over a year, I get another hundred thousand and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, all right, deal. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't have her negotiate. Well, he doesn't really have much of a choice. Right. Plus, I mean, I guess, like, realistically, like... Well, his choice is he could kill her. She has a gun on him. Yeah, I know, but he could leave the apartment. Well, I'm saying his choice is to agree to it in the moment. Oh, okay, right. (laughs) We don't know if he was really going to do this or not. He just says that in that moment. So 
you know, she basically takes the gun off him and he leaves. And then the next morning, Max comes to retrieve uh, his gun. And this is kind of another scene that I kind of checkmarked as like... The hanging out? Yeah. This scene really doesn't move anything forward as far as plot. But it's we're kind of seeing Max's growing attraction for the lovely Jackie Brown. Yeah. I mean, lots of like little innuendo with some of the things that they're saying. And she offers him coffee... Uh, says she's out of creamer or whatever, something like that. Yeah. But and he just replies, "Black's fine." <laughs> she talks about her ass getting bigger, and he's like, "Nothing wrong with that." Yeah. <laughs> and but uh, she puts on a Delphonics record on her record player, right? I think this is, or are we not there yet? No. Yeah. And okay, I think right. Well, and this kind of like plays Which, plays into like the end of the movie whenever she's like. Uh, are you afraid of me or something? And he's like, a little bit. And it's like, he does kind of have that thing of like, it's almost like a high school thing where like, he's intimidated by like the cool girl. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Not like the hot. Who wouldn't be though? Not like yeah. necessarily like the hot cheerleader popular girl, but like the cool girl. Oh, Like right. she's just cooler. Like she knows all this cool music that he doesn't know. And she's so comfortable in her skin. Like, it's a vibe that she puts out that is like so anti Ordell because, you know, when he asks her house or apartment at one point, she's just like, "Oh, it's an apartment." Like she doesn't even care, right? Like she just dismissively is just like, "It's an apartment" or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Whereas like Ordell was like this pomp and circumstance of being like, "Oh, it's a house," you know. Like yeah. he's like kind of fronting in a way that she's just like so she doesn't care. Like she's so much more comfortable in her own skin and she just kind of has like this coolness to her. And he's like taken aback by that almost right away. Oh yeah. And so he doesn't even care that she's sure still he's dealt with more than one Ordell's in his time. Yeah. But there's only one Jackie Brown. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean this whole sequence kind of furthers their relationship and kind of serves as like character development. But yeah, I mean, it kind of plays into the whole casual vibe of the movie where it's just like, eh, we're not really that worried about the plot right now. We just want to spend some time with Jackie and oh, Max yeah. just talking and getting to know each other. And just like his kind of admission about his hair and like getting like the plugs or whatever he did, you know, like the right. whole thing. And yeah. like, apparently that was something not in the script. And that's something that Robert Forster really did. And he like offered to like put that in there and like talk about it. And that no. was like kind of real. So it was like it a feels shoot. real, I will say. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the whole thing between the two of them kind of feels real. It's like, you know, we were known more in our glory years of our youth, and now here we are older, and, you know, things haven't really, aren't really as hot as they were as far as our careers, but, like, here's the truth about it. And it's kind of like this spotlight on older performers that, like, you typically aren't getting in mainstream movies. Well, yeah, certainly not. Especially from a director as like young and as like of the moment as Tarantino was in like ninety six, ninety seven. I right. mean, you, I don't think you could have had like more anticipation for a movie. And then you, here we are talk, listening to two middle middle aged people for ten minutes talking about getting older. It's like <laughs> what what is happening? And a, and it, if that sounds like a a, a knock on it, it's not. It, it this may in unexpected a, really in a lot of ways like. 
people make a big deal of like the pop culture references and some of the quick snappy dialogue in Reservoir Dogs or True Romance or you know some of the the interesting uh dialogue in Pulp Fiction but I mean in a lot of ways like Jackie Brown might be his best written script because it it still has that Tarantino flair but it feels so much more real yeah like, it feels very casual it's it, like these characters this is like a very heightened but like unique situation that normal people aren't always dealing with but like the characters always feel so genuine yeah like we understand who Jackie Brown is like she barely makes any money even though she's been in this job for like 20 years because of her checkered past and she's just surviving you know what I mean like she's just out there doing it and that's it and it's like we get that like she got involved with someone like Ordell because you know what did she say she makes like $16,000 a year or something insane and it's like you know, she just has to. And it's, you know, we, we totally get it. And then we get who Max Cherry is. He's just a guy who's been, you know, doing the same career for like 20 years. And it's like a stressful, bullshit job. And he's just kind of had enough. Yeah. And so now, you know, as we get further into the story here, when he's presented with this opportunity, it's like, why wouldn't he take it? It's like really distracting when you're wearing that Spring Breaker shirt. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, good Lord. <laughs> So then this is kind of like an interesting point in the movie because Jackie kind of really thinks outside the box here and is just like, I'm going to offer this deal to... I mean, the fact that she's able to come up with this whole plan, which at first seems kind of simple, but as the movie plays out, it gets more elaborate. Well, I think it kind of gets more and more elaborate due to necessity. Okay, that's what I can't figure out. But Which some part of it, it, how much was part of the original plan? But some of it because it gets more elaborate, it ends up benefiting her more. Right. Like I'm not entirely sure she had all of this mapped out, but she decides to like kind of I think it throws well, everybody I have a question, okay. And we'll get to it when we get to it, but just the whole thing where Lewis sees Max in the store, was that meant to happen? Did did they want no, Max to be spotted? I don't think so. But that's so. what sets off a certain chain of events. I guess it is the only outcome of that Lewis's death, the fact that they Well, but that's how that's what leads Ordell back to go through Max, right? All right. Well, we'll, we'll get to that cuz that's like Okay. Yeah, we're, that's going it. down All a right. whole thing that's still off in the distance yeah. here. We're already like an hour in. Um. Well, <laughs> a lot to say about how this long one. did you put this for? Two hours. Okay. All right. Well, then we're good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't think uh, we're we're just treading into that hook territory. <laughs> but you know what? The episodes are what they are. I mean, some, if people don't like it, then just don't listen. It's like a two-hour and forty-minute fucking movie. I mean, yeah, and it's the first time we've done a Tarantino-directed movie on here. True. All right. Get to it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So. And I guess like Jackie catches everybody off guard, uh, Nicolette and Dargis and Ordell by just kind of turning into everything rather than turning away from it. Right. Like, in other words, she like she shows up and she's like, they don't. I don't think she even copped to knowing Ordell or really told them anything the first time around. And then she shows up and she's like, No, yeah, they say they call her like, out for that. She's like, Yeah, Beaumont told you about me. Uh, Ordell bailed Beaumont out and killed him and uh, that's who you're looking for and I pick up the money from this guy and this guy 
uh, obviously put in these drugs for someone else, and now I'm busted and blah, 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 so here we are, so I want to make a deal. And she basically, you know, much to Ordell's chagrin, tells Ordell that she's going to do this. Like, she kind right. of, she's like, in order to make this plan work, because we got to get, because now that Beaumont has spilled the beans, Ordell is afraid he's never going to be able to get his money into the country, because now they know his deal. Like, okay. they know... They it know is where hard everything is to figure out Ordell's end in her plan because it's like, well, isn't that just going to bring more heat on me? Me being Ordell, I mean, you're telling well, me. Well, I guess yeah. his plan is to get to take the money and and get out of there and like you know lay low right. somewhere else because it, I guess like because of Beaumont and Jackie both getting arrested in a short amount of time and Beaumont giving them all this information, it kind of feels like. Ordell's world is kind of crashing down around him. So he knows he has at least 500 and something thousand dollars in yeah. Mexico. He's like, I got to get that money. And then I can like, it's, he wanted to get over a million. He thought he was going to get over a million before things were going to wrap up. But now I think he's just like, I got to get that. And then I got to, you know, get out of here before I get busted. And then, you know, I'm sure he would resurface somewhere, but well, yeah, he just wants to make sure that money is safe. And, so Jackie basically hatches this plan of getting the money up into America. After after we see the scene of Jackie talking to Nicolette and Dargis, then we get we we're back at Melanie's apartment, and this is like the part where like Ordell leaves them alone. <laughs> <laughs> right, we're getting some more <laughs> hanging out, but now we've just got the one on one time with Melanie. And yeah, Lewis. and she's kind of just like showing them like different pictures and like offering them like food and then they're like looking at a picture and she's just like, do you want to fuck? Yeah, out of nowhere. And he's like, in the middle yeah. of the conversation, <laughs> yeah, he's like, uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> and then it's like, it three comes on screen later, yeah. three minutes later and he's just like huffing and puffing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was like, oh God. And even like the resolution to that scene is she's just like, okay, well that was good and he's like, yeah, that really hit the spot. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, it's kind of unclear. I mean, he just was in prison for like four years, and it, yeah, you know, it doesn't seem like he had anything else going well, on. Well, and then so. like Ordell and Lewis talk about it later at the bar, and again, like the audience, Lewis is unclear on what Melanie and Ordell's situation is, and uh, Ordell was like, "Well, what if she was my girlfriend or whatever?" And he's <laughs> like, "Well, I did consider that, but." <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this is kind of, we kind of get, this is like where the movie then, because a lot of the movie is kind of like these long extended scenes that stay in one place. This is where we start to get a little bit of jumping around. So then now we have Lewis and Ordell talking. We have Max at the record store buying the Delphonics tape. <laughs> it, it should be noted that the rap artist Foxy Brown is it's, on is playing be. during that yes. scene. <laughs> and then uh, we see Jackie or and Ordell at the cockatoo. This was before, I think, Lewis and Ordell. And she's laying out the entire plan. And he's kind of like nervous, okay, but he doesn't yeah. really know what else to do at this point. Right. Then we have, you know, during the whole sequence of Lewis fucking Melanie, then Melanie's trying to pit Ordell and Lewis against each other, which uh, Lewis, like a good soldier, does tell Ordell, but Ordell just kind of like laughs it off. And he's like, yeah, that's oh, yeah. Melanie. He's like, she's an idiot. She's a crazy motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I do. What are you gonna do? And then, you know, Max leaves a message for Jackie at her apartment. So it's kind of like Max is still kind of on the peripheral, but I guess at some point 
Jackie realizes that she's going to need like an ally to be able to pull this off, and so kind of yeah, Max gets like pulled into the whole plan operation. So then, I guess in order for Jackie to show Ordell like what she wants to do, she like meets him at the Del Amo Mall, which is like this huge mall in California at the time, and they're sitting at the food court, and she's kind of like, "What's the status?" Of that mall currently. I think uh, most of it was like torn down and remodeled. Boo. So it doesn't really look... I think it's still there, but it doesn't okay. look like that anymore. So then um, she's kind of just like, here's what we're going to do. You know, you're going to bring in a woman. We're going to like have two different bags that are identical from a store at this mall. And then we're going to switch the bags underneath the table, blah, blah, blah. Right. So he's got, he's kind of just like laying this all out. But then like... The part that kind of confuses me is like while they're talking, this is when Max comes out of the movie theater at the mall and just starts walking over to the food court and then Ordell's leaving. And sees and Max. And sees him and like right. ducks into a store and watches him. Then Max goes over to the food court and he's like walking around and then Jackie like calls him over. Is this set this, up? This is never revisited with Ordell really. He doesn't bring this up to anybody. I know, right? I don't like, understand they never what's even talk happening about here. that again in the movie, right? And it, and it's never clear, at least to me. It's I'm sure it's possible that I've missed something, or you know, something's heavily implied here. But it, I was never clear: is like, is this part of a plan between Jackie and Max, or is Max just like you know, low key stalking her now because he's he likes her and he wants to be involved in whatever she's doing? That's possible. I always took it that she wanted him to meet after that to talk about it yeah well they play it off like she's just seeing him because she's like right. calling him over yeah although they're acting he's, like they're running into each other i guess i don't know it's weird though he like he's acting like he's looking for her he's i don't kind know of he's like, acting like an old man at a mall well lost <laughs> I, don't, yeah. Yeah, I don't really know what he, he just is like kind of staring around i don't know yeah i guess it's left to be I do think there, there, there was a deleted scene, but it may I I don't know sequentially if that's the scene that was like she was like laying on a hotel bed. Oh yeah. For some reason they're at a hotel and he's like she's telling him more of the plan. Right. I guess that was okay. how no, that that no, that comes later. Never mind. That that isn't here. So I don't know when they would have discussed this or whatever. We do see that scene where he left a message on her machine, but that didn't really seem to play into this. Yeah. And that kind of cuts to the mall. So did he? I don't know if he knew she was going to be there or not. I don't know. Ordell thinks nothing of this, though. Or I guess he thinks it's weird, but, but not enough to make. Yeah, but like, what would he think is happening here? I don't know, but wouldn't he think it's kind of weird? As far as he knows, he's just a bail bondsman at this point. Yeah, I know, but if he's already suspicious, but of, maybe this is why he's suspicious later when he Lewis is, tells him that he saw him. Because true. why else? At this well, point, yeah. I think that has it, to be like the catalyst. For you him do to have be like, to think to yourself, like, how much interaction has there been between Ordell and Max, other than at Max's office? So well, it's yeah. like I don't know if he really knows, if he thinks that Max knows any of this stuff, really. Right, and so I, he's suspicious. But I mean, I don't. I guess that's the only thing that this serves is to kind of start putting it in his mind that there's more of a relationship. Between yeah, Max especially when he sees that he goes Jackie. over and is talking to her and everything. I don't know. Yeah, but it is weird that he doesn't make a bigger deal of it, but then you think, like, but what would he think? Why would he connect those dots? I don't know. Why right. would he think a bail bondsman would have anything to do with what's happening? But if he's suspicious that 
he's suspicious enough that he's going to stop and look to see what's happening. To me, then seeing that happen would be enough to be like, all right, well, something's fucking going on. Yeah, maybe. But maybe that's why they played it off like they she was just randomly seeing him and calls him over. True. I don't know. I don't know. So then we get the money exchange trial run, uh, which starts with Nicolette and Dargis in the garage at the airport, and they're like checking the bag that she brought in and like marking the bills right. and blah. Their blah, plan blah. is to let one go through, yeah, so that Ordell's like trusting the process. Yeah, just a little bit amount of money. Now Jackie to Ordell is like, don't send one of your fucking crackhead chicks to come do this. Like it needs to be someone that can be trusted and can handle it. Now, you know, smash cut to the fucking food court. <laughs> I do love that part where she's like, better not be one of those Rocco's or whatever. Right, yeah. And it, just Ordell's reaction is like, oh, this ain't not Rocco. <laughs> like, it's just like <laughs> the look on his face. Right. Like, he's indignant to this. Like, what? Yeah. Yeah, so then, you know, there's like a handoff at the food court. We meet Sharonda, who's just like another one of Ordell's uh, women. Then we kind of get, but this- I guess Ordell does insert his own wrinkle to the plan, right? Because a different yeah. girl takes the bag, actually. Right? Yeah, Ordell still isn't fully trusting what's happening. Uh, but then we get like this flashback phone call with Max. So now we're like, now we know that Jackie has brought Max right. into this yes. for sure, which it's we Jackie we Brown. kind of assumed, but yeah. now here we are. Uh, Jackie shows up at Melanie's afterward to like f- scream at Ordell because he, he changed <laughs> some of the plan. Constantly doing that, yeah. Things kind of get smoothed over, but then like uh, things kind of get weird because I guess like Simone, who Lewis had been staying with, who had been singing "Baby Love," was supposed to factor into this second drop off. Well, I and thought- then she took the ten thousand, right? Because that's the other chick I think that takes yeah. the bag, right? And so she just took that. 10,000 and just and, disappeared. Yeah, split with it. <laughs> kind of a legendary move by Simone. Yeah, she really. had just been waiting for her the moment. O- <laughs> the overlooked Simone, the true mastermind here. Now, normally, you would think that even though 10,000 might be small potatoes to a guy like Ordell, if all this other shit wasn't going down, you would think that it would be enough for him to track down Simone and kill her and take the money back. But he doesn't have time to fucking right. deal with that bullshit right now. So it is like the perfect moment for Simone to pull to make this move. her move. Yeah. And then we get a scene of Nicolette and Jackie at a restaurant. And um, kind of, I guess, there's some hints that maybe Nicolette <laughs> taking their relationship a little bit more personally. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> you think it's he all? just seems very like invested in his job and okay. willing to take yeah. a more hands-on approach. And uh, it was funny like watching like Tarantino talk about this scene being like all improvised and stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and like that extended scene that we watched that was right. deleted <laughs> where she's like one's French and one's a hoe. Yeah. And like everybody <laughs> cracks up. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty great. Pam Greer just fucking hanging with Michael Keaton in uh, an <laughs> improv scene. Yeah. And it's... It, it is like a great scene and like I, I do think that like a lot of these sequences with Jackie make her such like this likable character and it's really like building up an audience anticipation for what's gonna happen in the rest of the film. Like will her and Max get together? Because it's clearly Max has like a thing for right. her. They both seem like single people at this point in their lives. Like everybody's kinda wanting it. Now we're kind of as an audience, like falling in love with Jackie as well. 
you know, well, we're all yeah, come on. I was there in that <laughs> opening. Scene. Yeah, for some of us, it was love at first sight. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so she tells Nicolette that it's only fifty k instead of five hundred because Ordell's like gotten cold feet or, feet or whatever. So now, like, I, or or did Nicolette never think it was five hundred? I, I, I don't can't know. remember. Yeah, but I it, mean, it, a, this is where a... she lays that it's going to be fifty on him. So now she's already like making a big portion of the money disappear. Uh, in Ordell's mind, it's for him, and in her mind, it's for her. Yeah. Although I guess like Ordell would hope that all of the money would be accounted for, because if any of it is there, he could still probably get busted, I guess. Yeah. Although I'm not entirely clear, other than seizing the money, how this is necessarily proving that Ordell sells guns, which is why he's of interest to the ATF in the first place. Yeah, it's hard. I mean... Ray is has been on his case apparently for a while, so I I guess they're trying, but I, I don't know the way the it's all playing out. Why is it any different than the original arrest on Jackie? I don't know. Wait, were they planning on following the money to the delivery of Ordell? Yeah. Okay. So that's it then, right? I mean, <sighs> I guess I don't know how that. Then pr- they're able to get him into a room. I don't know. I, I don't know, but. Uh, yeah, some of this like law enforcement stuff we're not really experts on. Yeah, we don't know I mean, come the, on. We just kind of follow the idea of the movie and just ex- yeah. accept it. Whatever logic they introduce to us, we'll go with. So uh, Jackie and Max are at the apartment, and she's like laying out the plan in full to Max and is like, and he's like on what the now? fence. <laughs> yeah, he's kind of like, are you sure they're not going to check the whole bag and blah, blah, blah. And she's like, well, they didn't do it before. And if they, even right. if they do... You know, I could be like, I didn't know it was there. And blah, yeah, blah, she's blah. kind of uh, going with this whole thing where it's just like, well, I might as well try. She's wearing like overalls in this scene yeah. too, which is like really strange. Yeah, I would agree. Um, Still kind of sexy, but weird. But she's certainly going into this like, well, it might not work, but at least I'm going to take a shot at it. I'm going to take my shot, make my move. Yeah. Um, this is when Ordell calls and drops the bomb that it's going to be Melanie doing the switch. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> Much like, to now the that... displeasure of everyone involved. <laughs> yeah, everyone's like, oh, God. Because, <laughs> like, Melanie had been, like, fucking fuming earlier because she wasn't being included, <laughs> even though she, like, knows the deal. Yeah. See, the thing with Melanie is she's definitely smarter than Lewis and probably even smarter than Ordell. But she doesn't really make a great criminal because no. she's like way too emotional, making scenes, and you know she just she just rubs everyone the wrong way all the time with some of her you know her attitude, abrasive and, commentary, and so like now putting her in the mix is kind of like kind of throwing like a a cherry bomb into the deal, and now we don't know what's gonna happen, but you know it's too late and. That's just the way it's got to be. Oh, so yeah. now we cut to money exchange for real this time. <laughs> and you're like, okay, maybe the movie's wrapping up. There's like an hour left. <laughs> yeah. So now Nicolette counts the money. Um, we see Max heading to the mall. Lewis and Melanie are still at Melanie's Listening apartment. Listening to his uh, Delphonics cassette tape. Yeah. Max is kind of just like every scene now of him driving. He's like at the same point in that Delphonics yeah. song. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Lewis and Melanie are at Melanie's apartment, and she's just, like, taking forever, and they're running late, and, like, she won't come out, and he's, like, yelling at her. Right. Busting the bathroom gets her out of there. Ordell, I guess, is, like, hiding out at a strip club 
waiting for this all to go down and he calls and he's like what the fuck is going on and he's like i don't know she's not you're coming you're still out. at the house and he's like grab that bitch by the hair and yank her out <laughs> she keeps saying one more minute so things aren't off to a great start we've all been there with lewis and melanie <laughs> right so now I guess everything has kind of been arranged to go down at this Billingsley, which is like a department store that I'd never heard of before this movie. But, okay, yep. Uh, this Billingsley store in the dressing room, there's going to be a bag switch. Um, I don't know how much we need to really get into all the minutia of what happens here. Cause True, they because they show this scene several times, times from different angles. from different perspectives, yeah. So it's like Jackie wants to buy this uh, business suit that she tries on, and then... She's going into the dressing room. She's got a bag with like some beach towels on top, which you know supposedly has the money. The money, in truth, it only has about like forty thousand, right? Instead and then of it's filled with uh, books. Yeah, to make up to be the make weight, uh, she transfers the actual money into her like her purse or whatever, uh, her, yep. her like shoulder bag. Right. That's when Lewis and Melanie come in. Melanie comes in, make makes the bag switch. Yep. Max seen by Lewis. Yeah. Um kind of gives him like the I mean there's certainly an acknowledgement from Max. Well, I guess they knew that this was like a possibility. I don't know if you can necessarily say that they were planning on it or wanted it because Yeah, I guess they can't say that they would have known that Lewis would have been there. Yeah, or how he would react. Like Right. What if everything blew up right then? That's true. So I mean, I think I guess I, but Although I guess Max does a good job of playing it cool then. Yeah, that's like why he's got to just like play it off and right. not freak out. Plus like again, it's like how much if you actually go back and watch the rest of the movie, how much interaction was there ever between Lewis well, yeah, and Well, yeah, and I mean, we're reminded of this when Lewis does talk to Ordell because he's kind of like, oh, yeah, that fucking Bales Bondsman dude was there. Like, it's taking him some time for this to register <laughs> well, that there's a connection. Well, yeah, well, that that time is kind of partially what sets Ordell off. Right. The, <laughs> he's just like, you idiot. Yeah. So Melanie makes, grabs the bag uh, this is where we cut to the parking lot. Or, well, no, not even yet. Just Lewis and Melanie trying to leave the store is hilarious. Oh, yeah. Where he's like, All which right. way I do mean, we come in? just fucking needling, critical needling. of everything that he does. Well, I think the... It's a lot of questions. It's a lot of fucking criticisms and critiques of what he's doing. I think she's amped up to stick it to Lewis because of a sequence that happened back at her apartment when they're all in there uh i think ordell is on the phone i think it's when she he calls jackie to tell her that simone bailed and now they're gonna have to use melanie and so lewis is sitting on the couch and melanie's kind of like laying there and she kind of tries to put her foot in his lap and he kind of just like shrugs her not into it anymore (laughs) yeah yeah he's like not in the fucking her again and i feel like that was left there to be right. like she's extra pissy with lewis yep, the next yep. day all right because yep. she kind of feels a little Woman rejected sort of thing yeah so yeah she's just taking every opportunity to just stick it to him like what way do we come in and lewis i guess is an idiot he doesn't right. really know where they came in that's true he doesn't know where they came in he doesn't know where the car is parked uh <laughs> and it's just yeah, like, she's like <laughs> he's like no wonder you got caught robbing banks did you, yeah how did, did you, you ever did you lose, rob a bank did you Is lose it? the did you remember when you parked when you robbed the bank 
Yeah, just really fucking digging that knife in. But it is like she has no fucking awareness of the stakes here. I mean, you know what I mean? They're doing like a criminal exchange for a lot of money. Yeah, and it's almost like she's willing to like make a scene right. to draw attention yeah. to them. Now, Lewis obviously getting pushed to the edge here, but I mean, his reaction not great. Kind of making a scene himself. Yeah, I, I certainly don't think she was ready for his no, reaction. Right. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that she was anticipating it leading to this. But, of course, Lewis doing the appropriate thing and just pulling his gun out and shooting her twice. Right. I think she was looking to get smacked. Yeah. Like, I think that that's she something. She was looking for it. Well, based on <laughs> There's the... There's a lot of references to that. Based on what thing. Ordell was saying, it yeah. seems like this is something that happens. Right. And- Even later, post-death... I mean, twice, obviously, but even uh, like towards the end of the movie, he brings it back up and is like, you know, oh, Melanie yeah. just all she needed was a smack. I mean, she just needed to get, hit, get hit in the mouth. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, granted, I mean, I guess that's kind of like a controversial way to phrase well, it. That she and was I like, mean, you know, obviously it's a little bit sketchy territory right now with Tarantino, maybe. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, I mean, I think it would be uh ignorant and incorrect to act like you know it's not there isn't like fucked up relationships in this world where it happens she's her expectation she i mean i'm assuming she thinks that he's gonna hit her yeah i don't think uh she certainly isn't thinking or maybe like i don't know because in a fucked up way it's like he rejected her physically the night before or whatever and if he hits her that's like somehow she's like winning. I don't know. Like right. she, she's sucking him back into something yeah. that he's, you know, acting as if he doesn't want any part of it or whatever. I don't know. It, it's fucked up, obviously, but I, it's just like she's certainly not counting on getting shot twice in broad daylight yeah, in a mall parking it, lot. Right, yeah. <laughs> and I do think like coming. Just showing us that Lewis is a little unhinged, really, too. Coming out of like the insane, over-the-top violence of Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction, you know, stuff that people really weren't very used to, and was kind of like a calling card for Tarantino going into this movie. This movie's violence is way toned down compared to that, and oh, a lot, a lot yeah, of it happens of it. like where you can't really see it. Like you don't see Beaumont getting oh, shot; it's, not in your it's face. far away, right. and uh even whenever lewis shoots uh melanie here she kind of is like backed off of camera almost and then so the gunshots yeah, going off yeah you certainly camera. don't see her getting shot yeah and there's no like carrying on it's like silence from her end after the shot you know what i mean and then like right. you do see a little bit of blood uh in the next kill after that but like the body count is way down and then the actual violence is like not a lot of gore but I do think that the violence that is in this movie is kind of it, it, it's amplified because of like the lack of it compared True. to Tarantino's other movies. So like it's kind of just like this like holy shit he just shot her like yeah, moment. you're like, so what? like what the fuck right. <laughs> uh, now also should be pointed out here they're at a mall in Los Angeles in the middle of the day <laughs> no one notices this yeah it doesn't seem to be a lot of no people security around driving around <laughs> right. So basically, we get everybody's point of view for this sequence. I think does 
so does when Max goes in there and picks up the bag that is left, the money's not in that bag, is it? Or, or no, I guess it would be because she doesn't want to take it to right. So she puts She's, the money in the bag that Melanie brought because she doesn't want to. She still has it in her purse, and she moves it into that other right. bag. Right. Yeah, because she doesn't want to take the money because she's got to run out now and act yeah, yeah, like yeah. she was ambushed to tell Nicolette. But like, okay, so then she and leaves as she's the bag. Leaving, she says to the person waiting, "Hey, somebody left uh, their bag with beach towels in there." And then after she leaves the store, Max walks up to that. Uh, person who works at the store and says yeah I think my wife left uh, a bag with beach towels and she's like oh yeah it's in there it's in the dressing room or whatever yeah pretty cute checkout girl too. yeah should be what's noted. she up to I don't know <laughs> so yeah so then Max goes and takes the money and then his it, it I do think it's funny the juxtaposition of like the tense violence of like the Lewis Melanie point of view and then like Max's point of view is so casual. It's like he's whistling, basically, and just walks back there, picks up a bag, walks out into this parking lot in the middle of the day. No one's around. Yeah, just now, gets in his car and drives away, and everything's fine. It does feel like security cameras would play into this in some way. I don't know. I guess the cops wouldn't think to check what's going on in this store. Yeah, I don't know. That seems weird, right? How prevalent do you think cameras were, though? I don't, I don't know. know. Maybe not much. Maybe they weren't in dressing rooms at the time. <laughs> well, no, they certainly wouldn't be in the dressing yeah, room. I but, know. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to remember what department stores were like. Because I would have been probably, what, like 11? Yeah, oh, I This is no supposed idea. to be taking place, but it is supposed to be taking place in the summer of 95. Now, they did ask about, well, okay. In Serial, they asked about security footage at the library. And that was in the late 90s. <laughs> So I would think department stores would have been well into u- utilizing that. I don't know technology. Yeah, I mean that could potentially be like a hole in the plot, or I don't know if Nicolette has like full authorization to be doing this kind of. He's going rogue a little bit. This sting operation. If this is like full, I don't know. Who knows? Lewis goes and picks Ordell up, and that's when Ordell discovers the money is mostly gone, and. uh Lewis drops the bomb on him that he killed Melanie. <laughs> Very kind of casually slides. That oh, in I there. had to kill her. Well, I just oh, shoot her. well, yeah. Melanie's not with us anymore. That that's what I'm trying to tell you. Actually, Melanie's dead. <laughs> well, is she dead or did you shoot her? <laughs> yeah, and he's like, the last thing we need is is that bitch surviving on us. Anybody but that fucking woman. <laughs> that is hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> So then he makes Lewis pull over and he kind of, I think this is like such a cool part of this movie because it's like, this is like a filmmaker at like the height of his powers, just unafraid and willing to do what he wants to do and not worried about like any of the bullshit. Like, cause I feel like most of the times this would get cut or changed or something. And so Lewis is going to drop this full bomb on him. He, he, about Melanie, he sees that, Five hundred and ten thousand dollars is missing, and he's only got like this forty thousand and a bunch of paperback books. And he's kind of he knows he's been fucked, and he doesn't exactly know what's going on because the, Lewis's story is fucking crazy. Well, yeah, he's like they made the pickup, and now Melanie's not here. So right. he's like, are they the ones that are fucking me? Like, who's fucking me right now? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so he just stops, and that moment where he, they pull over to the side of the road, and he just kind of 
puts his head down like Ordell and like closes his eyes and like has his head like on his arm just like for like a full like 30 40 <laughs> yeah. seconds and just nothing being he's said. He's got to mull it over. He's just like thinking and he just kind of like pulls his head up and he just goes it's Jackie Brown. Like he just he decides he understands who has screwed him over here. But Lewis really isn't off the hook because right. Ordell seems pretty pissed that he killed Melanie when he could have just hit her. Yeah. And also He points it out multiple times. Lewis fucked up because he saw like now Lewis you know admits that he saw Max Cherry at the department store and he's just like you didn't think that that was fucking weird or whatever and he's like I don't know. And in all fairness since we never get a scene of Ordell like yeah. bringing up his run in Maybe with- when they were at the fucking cocktail lounge Ordell could have been like you want to know what's weird though after <laughs> I met with Jackie in the food court was that motherfucking bail bondsman, Max Cherry. Yeah, at least put him back into the forefront of right. Lewis's mind. Because from Lewis's perspective, Lewis's I, I don't mind really... Yeah, there's not a lot of depth there. Well, plus, I, I mean, don't really blame him for... Again, why would he fucking, make the connection? Uh, ripping bongs with Melanie all day. Well, why? like he says, he doesn't even know that they know each other. Right. Why would he know this? Like, he he's not real. I think, like, for the I sake of a movie, and we understand that Max is a main character in that movie, it makes sense to us that he's connected to this. In the real world, that's just a guy that, like, Lewis met for two seconds. Why would he think he's connected to this? You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I don't... Well, is Lewis aware, though, that of the bail bond for Jackie, though, or not? I don't know. He wasn't there, I don't think, in that right, scene. Right, no, he wasn't. So, I mean... I. I do think it's a lot to ask to be like, yeah, this random guy that you saw for a minute is somehow connected to this big thing that's well, going on. Well, he's pissed. Uh, there's a lot on the line here. I mean, come on. So now we get Nicolette interrogating Jackie about the money because her story is that Melanie rushed in and like that wasn't part of the plan, and she just like grabbed the money and ran out, and didn't they didn't have time to do the whole thing that they were planning yep. on doing, and so everything's fucked. And she's willing to take like a lie detector, which they never really force her to do. And Nicolette is kind of like bummed by this turn of events because well, they're yeah. not going to get Ordell. But like he doesn't really have any recourse but at this actually, point. Yeah, they tell her like before this sequence that she's kind of off the hook. At some point, they they say to her like, "Yeah, you're like kind of off the hook for this now," because I guess she's agreeing to do this operation, and that's the deal. But she also fucked it up. I mean, it didn't it didn't go the way that they were intending it to go. Yeah, but I, I mean, guess, I like, guess the deal that's being cut is never really fully laid out for us. Just that a deal was cut. Plus, like what they originally busted her for was like kind of like a trumped up drug thing. And it was just like, I don't know. I think like Nicolette was able to get that like washed away because they they didn't really care about that. They, there was right. never really... Like, yeah, they could, if okay. they really I, wanted yeah, okay. to, they could, like, so fuck the, her over. They no but, longer like, they really have really... any charges that they're holding over. So, and she's, you know, given them all the names to this point. They don't really have a lot of reasons to be suspicious because of that, you know, whenever I said that she was just turning into it rather than turning away from it way back right. when, where she just starts giving them the names, and I, she, she caught them off guard with that honesty, and I think that kind of developed this trust. And so now they don't really, you know, they don't see why she would be fucking them over or how at this point. They're just like, all right. Yeah. Jackie Brown always 
12 steps ahead. So now Ordell is like hiding out at somebody's house that might be Sharonda. We can't really tell. It seems yeah, like somebody who's on heroin. But I don't know. <laughs> and uh, she seems fucking out from in like a drug induced fucking state. So Ordell knows Max is involved. So he's like, he calls his office and gets Winston, who's like this guy that works with Max, and he gets the be- the uh, the beeper number, and he gets Max to call him, and Max ends up showing up because Winston finds where he's staying, and, and he's gonna bring Ordell the ten thousand dollar collateral back for the original uh, bond that had right. started for Beaumont, then got moved to Jackie, and now the charges have been dropped against Jackie, so he's giving him the the receipt of the money and everything back, and. Again, it's kind of this situation where the characters being like so direct and like kind of turning into it rather than turning away from it. He's just like, instead of acting like he has some reason to be afraid of and hide from Wardell and lie to him, he just shows up and he's like, here's your money. And like, yeah, what yeah. are you talking about or whatever? And so Max kind of mediates between Wardell and Jackie. And he's basically like, yeah, she has your money and she wants to give it to you and she's going to explain what happened and blah, blah, blah. And basically, it's just kind of the setup. He's like, well, yeah, I'd like to hear that. Yeah, it's basically just a setup at Max's office for Nicolette to be able to kill Ordell. And Ordell is very suspicious, but it's like, dude, I mean, I don't know. Maybe he thinks they're not capable of. What's happening? Well, I but- wrote something down here, and I think this kind of plays into what I was talking about with Ordell's character and kind of like his chip on his shoulder and maybe a little bit of his insecurity about like who he is and what he does and wh- his place in life. But I think it's like the power of that 500,000 oh, yeah. is what is prompting this. Like he doesn't want to accept that the money is gone. Like this is everything he's like built in his like little criminal empire right. and like to take this as a loss would just be like, it's too much. And so it's like, if there's any chance, chance that he's actually going to get this money yeah. back, he's got to like do desperation. it. And he, I, I think like he's not really thinking clearly in the way that he should be. And that ultimately leads to his death. <laughs> yeah. Cause again, it's like, just like whenever he's turning the lights off at Jackie's apartment, when she gets out of prison, it's like he shows up at Max's office where Jackie is supposedly waiting with his money, and all of the lights are off. And now, it's uh, just like, why doesn't he think that's suspicious? Probably my favorite part in the whole movie when Max is, uh, where uh, Max and Ordell are driving to Max's office in Max's car. I take it right because right, and he goes the the mu- he puts the cassette tape in or presses play. And it's that Delphonics song, and he's just like, I didn't know you like the Delphonics. It's like, they're pretty good. <laughs> and, yeah, and he just looks at them. Right, yeah. <laughs> it's almost like it's almost like Samuel Jackson in that scene is somehow conveying that subconsciously, like maybe even Ordell's not even aware of it, but like subconsciously he's like understanding that like Max has like this crush on Right, Jackie. and that's where he got this yeah. from, yeah. Yeah. It's like somehow, and like, I definitely think that Samuel Jackson like doesn't always get enough credit as like being a great actor. But somehow in that look, I get that feeling. Oh, absolutely! <laughs> like, yeah, and that, like it's almost it, like right. it's on the tip of his tongue, and he hasn't quite formed those thoughts. But it's like right there. Yeah, and he's yeah. just like, 
wait a minute. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's so funny. And then they get to the office, but uh, we see a couple of shots of uh, Jackie doing this, like, like she's preparing and she keeps kind of like pulling out this gun, like, like she's going to do something, but really, right. Well, you know, she might have to protect herself. Well, yeah, I guess so. It's never really clear what she calls and tells Nicolette and Dargis, but they show up and they're willing to just shoot Ordell as soon as she yells he has a gun. Right. Well, and there's, you know, some social issues here, probably. I mean, (laughs) he does have a gun, but it's very, they're very quick to the draw. Well, yeah, but they, he's a suspect of the murder of Lewis and Beaumont at that point. Yeah. He has killed multiple people. That's true. And she's a woman in distress, and she says that he has a gun. So, all right, what are they so gonna good do? job let, by the cops. What are they going to do? Let him kill her? Well, I mean, come on. So yeah, then the movie kind of wraps up back at Max's office. Like Jackie's taken Ordell's car, yeah, and she's going mean, to take the money and go uh, to Spain. Max just—I mean, really, just a great portrayal of bittersweet. You know? Yeah. And it, it, it always kind of is like this thing hanging at the end of this movie where you're kind of just like, why aren't they together? But it's like, you kind of almost, and I hate to say this. You could never really party at her level. Yeah, like I hate to say this because it kind of ruins maybe a little bit of the feeling, but you're never fully sure that she quite has those feelings for him. Right, although it's like she acknowledges that and kind of like almost feels bad about it you know she'll she'll point out like she's kind of quick to remind him like i didn't use you we were partners like you know what i mean like and he's not accusing her of that right and she invites him to come to spain with her and he says no and she's like are you sure i can't twist your arm and and he just is like thank you for saying that right it's almost like there's this unspoken acknowledgement that like they can't really be together for whatever reason and they do have like this kiss at the end and it's it is kind of an emotional kiss but like it's a little awkward and it's definitely not like an open mouth like tongue kind of kiss but yeah it's kind of it, the reason it's There's awkward is because it kind of goes on kind of long but it's clearly not like a make out kind of kiss so it's right. like what are they doing exactly i don't know but um <laughs> But yeah, it is like a very like bittersweet moment where it's like a happy ending, but there, it's like tinged with a little bit of sadness because yeah, she's heading off and but you know it's kind of one of those things where you're like Max gets a call for work and he's like after she leaves he's like can you call me back in a half hour like yeah. he just needs to go like put his head down on his desk yeah that is funny like she's already gone so you're like at first you're like is he gonna rush out there because he's trying to get off the phone. But she's, like, starting the car and driving away, and then he kind of just, like, puts the phone down and then just, like, turns, you know, to head back into his Right. <laughs> it is like, oh, God. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and then we end with her uh, driving off into the, uh, I guess, to go to the airport to go to yep. Spain or whatever, and she's Across singing along. 110th Street yeah. playing again. It bookends the film, really. Yeah, right? it's such a cool movie to exist, especially, I'm sure, for people who were fans of all those like black exploitation seventies movies, because you have like the icon of Pam Greer, and she's singing along to the lyrics from another black exploitation movie across 110th Street, which she wasn't in. So it's kind of like all of these things are like coming together. This song written for that movie, 
Yeah. Right. So, right. so it, yeah, I mean, it's just like, it's all of these like big moments for people who were like into those kind of things, like coming together here. Jam, too, really. Yeah. R.I.P. Bobby Womack. What a fun song just yeah, to put I, on and drive around to. Now, this movie kind of was the start of the the controversy around uh, the N-word in Tarantino movies. Um, it is obviously used in his first two. And, I mean, there's some parts in Reservoir Dogs that are just, whoa. Yeah, pretty <laughs> over the line. Yeah. But, you know, I guess in a, in a way, like, Reservoir Dogs was still kind of under the radar enough. But, like, Spike Lee kind of, like, criticized Tarantino a lot after this movie came out. And it is kind of interesting because Samuel L. Jackson defended him and Samuel L. Jackson is someone who appears in like a ton of Tarantino movies and then also a ton of Spike Lee movies. Oh yeah. Uh he kind of is like often saying the N-word no matter what character he's playing. <laughs> yeah, I mean it is one of those things where Spike Lee is like he shouldn't be writing these scripts like with characters saying the N-word all the time, blah blah blah. I don't know. I mean, I never I never really get the impression though that like I mean I definitely don't think Tarantino is like a racist or anything like that or thinks that like it's cool for like white people to be saying like the n-word and stuff. Well, usually I just it... I do think that it's possible that he's a little bit he gets like very like carried away. Yeah. With like his way of thinking and that like he doesn't fully grasp well, why like, some things might not be a good idea. Yeah. I mean, but it's like when you take something like Django Unchained, I mean, you the people that are utilizing the N-word are like just horrible villains in the movie. I mean, and then, I, I don't know. It's Right, just like, yeah, but I mean, and that's obviously a certain context with like slavery and, you know, is set like 100 and whatever years ago, but like 150 years ago. But like in Jackie Brown, for example, like, you know, like Jackie's calling Ordell it at one point well, yeah. which is like get your hands off my throat or whatever yeah n-word and then, and then like <laughs> you know the, and like Ordell is saying it and calling people it and all, you know all this stuff like back and forth and he's he's calling Winston like right that's true this yeah mandingo looking yep. motherfucker and all this stuff and it's like it, it's not like in the context of like historical it, right feels Fiction. like it's, those characters dialect though right i mean it does feel right i, I that's the thing like i for me it, it does it comes off as genuine and and i do think that like uh i i definitely understand the sensitivity to it and i i i definitely understand that it's that when it's written by a white man in a white in a white man's movies it's it it it's certainly okay to question it yeah um and and bring it up as a as a talking point oh absolutely Um, but but it also plays into the idea of like um i always think that you know creating something like true and real and accurate and genuine is more important than you know cleaning things up to make them more palatable for society it's like nowadays in people things, don't like people that. <laughs> people get upset if a villain in a movie acts like a villain you know what i mean like people get upset by things done by characters in movies yeah and it's like well this character is maybe not a good person right sometimes like it's that just a way idea. for the character to get like some cheap heat you know or if it's like and people certainly don't like when characters are complicated 
let you know in other words they do things that are both good and bad like the whole controversy with Sam Rockwell's character in Three Billboards this past year. Oh, right. And people being upset say, that his character is bad. <laughs> redeemed in the end somehow because he tries to help Francis yeah. McDormand's character. It's like, yeah, but that's how, like, you know, that's how real life is. You know, character, people aren't, like, all good or all bad necessarily. And, like, if people are bad or they do bad things, then those things are actually bad. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like... People get yes. upset if a character does something in a movie, and it's like, well, maybe the point is to be upset that they're doing that, not you know, and not upset in the sense that you bitch about it on Twitter and try to get it shut down or whatever. But like, yeah, we're to feel spinning back down a certain road again. <laughs> yeah, but I, I do think it, it, it applies in this case, and because I, I think that. It, it, it gets into tricky territory because uh, Tarantino is white, but I mean. I think that by like calling him out for that, you're then also calling out the other people willing to work with him and deliver those lines, and that would be like Pam Greer and Samuel L. Jackson oh, and right. everybody else. And it's like you know, if they're comfortable with it, then I then I don't see you know. And I've heard uh, Tarantino actually talk about this before too. Like he's very hard pressed about people sticking to the script for the most part but samuel jackson is someone he's always kind of afforded a certain artistic expression to where he kind of has a little bit more free reign with his character's dialogue so it's like i don't know if you can necessarily say that some of it isn't samuel jackson adding in himself yeah this is something that they do address so then who's to blame i, don't, I mean <laughs> well they do address it directly on the one of the documentary features on the Blu-ray where they're kind of like talking about it. It definitely was like a hot button issue at the time. And it certainly has popped up uh, a couple of other times. I mean, you know, obviously the majority of the characters in the hateful eight are white and you know, there's a lot of N words thrown around in that movie. Right. Um, But again, that's like in a historical context, like right post civil war. I don't know. I mean, well, it doesn't seem People like we're gonna have these discussions forever. I mean, ultimately, it's just like if you're against the movie, be against the movie. That's fine. I mean, yeah, it doesn't seem that. I guess like back in the day, like Harvey Weinstein tried to mediate between Spike Lee and yeah. Tarantino. And I mean, if we ha- if we have a social justice warrior like Harvey Weinstein out there fighting for the cause, <laughs> but Spike didn't want to talk to him. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's kind of one of those things where you know. Yeah, I mean, it is what it is. Yeah, it's fine that he has that opinion. I mean, that yeah, I mean, that's whatever. I yeah, I mean, I understand it, and um, I kind of just maybe it's like naive on my part, but it's like I kind of have faith that you know Tarantino's not really that type of person, and that these are just characters. In it a does fictional seem setting. more like it comes from, and uh, you know, whatever. It, who knows? I know nothing, but it does. You do always get this feeling that it's just kind of based off him being a fan of movies, like growing up and like. Well, yeah, I, yeah, I definitely do too. It's kind of like how David Lynch is like this, like kind of quiet, normal guy, and doesn't even like swear. Right. And then he'll like write a character <laughs> these, like, like crazy... Frank Booth in Blue yeah. Velvet, who swears like every two seconds and does all this like fucked up weird shit. It's just yep. like. You know, sometimes like the characters and things are just kind of these, you know, darker things that we have to let out and whatever. 
Um, but okay. yeah, I like Jackie Brown. I think it's kind of slowly become like tied for my favorite Tarantino movie with Pulp Fiction. It's certainly been my favorite one to watch over the past like three years of my life. Yeah, it surprisingly has become the most rewatchable Tarantino movie for me. Yeah. Um, and right. it may even already be at this point like the most rewatched one that I've seen the most times. It's, That's it's true. Close. We've watched it a lot seemingly over the past couple of years. Uh, but uh, yeah, we should probably wind it down. This is now probably our longest episode in quite a while. <laughs> well, it, we so took a little treat. For well, yeah, it's out been there. A, it's yeah. been a little it's been a minute since oh, we did true. episode yeah, ninety. A little, bit of a, a little bit of a break. There, yeah, we're so. hope. Uh, right now, I would say we're hopeful that we're going to get back on track and kind of have weekly episodes. Right. Yeah, and I mean, I certainly think this movie deserved it. We got the full treatment. So, yeah, so follow the show on Twitter at Greatest Pod. Uh, thanks for hanging in there if you've made it this far. If not, then you're this. <laughs> Have a good one. See ya. then too no wonder you went to jail is it this aisle Lewis is it Lewis Lewis is it this 
style, or is it the next one up? You sure? Yeah, I'm sure. You're positive? Don't seem sure to me. Hey, don't say... Don't say anything else, okay? Keep your mouth shut. Well... I mean, don't say one fucking word, okay? Okay, Lewis. See? Just where I said it was. <laughs> 